You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Every single time Deshaun Watson has had the opportunity to come out and say sorry, come out and apologize, come out and try and make things right. Every single time Deshaun Watson and the Browns, frankly, have had the opportunity to just say what would make everything easier. All they've done is double down. And as a result, now we're facing an 11-game suspension and the realization that at Week 12, we are going to be reminded that the most unlikable player in the NFL will be back behind center. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. And Spain and Fitz, uh, I'm flying solo tonight. Jason Fitz flying solo, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. And you guys have heard the news all day long. Deshaun Watson suspended 11 games, fined $5 million. That's the last time I'm going to talk about the fine because when you make $230 million fully guaranteed, I do not give a damn about $5 million. So he was given a hand slap of a fine and 11 games. Now, we've been waiting to see what would happen. And frankly, in my mind, we've been waiting to see what statement the league would make. Remember, the minute the first ruling came down and the league said, nope, not good enough, what they told us is they wanted more. And they've been negotiating for more ever since. I fully expected that Roger Goodell would at least come down and call the compromise a one-year suspension. And I do mean compromise. Because remember, originally the league was asking for at least a one-year suspension. Right? So, I thought that the compromise would be a one-year suspension. Instead, it's 11 games. And not only is it 11 games, but it's formatted in a way where the first time we see Deshaun Watson take the field, it'll be against the Houston Texans. So now we've got to figure out how to process all of this today. And you've heard a lot of shows talking about what it means for Deshaun and what it means for the Browns on the field. Frankly, I don't care. Let me say it loudly. I, I, I don't care what it means for the Browns on the field. I care about how we're all going to figure this out when he gets back on the field. That's the most interesting part to me because what you usually expect, this is what we usually have, all right? Anytime you see an issue, whether you like it or not, like if you've ever been in a relationship at all in your life, you realize that sometimes you just have to bite the bullet and apologize, even if you don't want to. Sometimes you just got to stand up there and say, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, because it ends the argument. And sometimes you got to just find a way to get out of your own way and say as little as possible because you don't think you're wrong, but damn it, you've got to say the right things. And you understand that that's just part of life. I expected Deshaun and the Browns to do that. In fact, I even took the first statement that Deshaun put out on social media that was just barely an apology. I took that and said, okay, well, at least that's something because we're going to have to all negotiate how to feel about him when he comes back on the field in week 12. But just when you think that any time you get this opportunity, uh, you're going to get out of your own way, Deshaun Watson at his press conference said this about his innocence. Moving, I'm moving on with my career and my life, and I'm continuing to stand on my innocence. Just because you know settlements and things like that happen doesn't mean that a person is, is guilty for anything. I feel like a person has the opportunity to stand on his innocence and prove that, and we prove that on the legal side, and we're just going to continue to push forward as an individual and as a person. Man, I, I just I don't even know how to process that. I, I, I just don't even know how to process that. Yeah, you know, on the legal side... Charges weren't filed. Uh, charges aren't filed is a far cry from proving your innocence. Charges aren't filed is a far cry from proving anything. It just means charges aren't filed. But even if you're somebody that's listening to the show right now and whining about how tough we're being on Deshaun, even if that's where you stand, 
At, at this point, you cannot deny the fact that the first judge in her ruling, what did she say? That the NFL, in her opinion, proved beyond a reasonable, reasonable doubt that their information, they carried the burden of proof as far as they had to. They proved in her mind that he knew what he was doing, he knew it was unwanted, and he knew it was wrong, and he did it anyway. So if you're going to say he's proven his innocence, my first comment to you is that the judge forced to look at all of this says, no, you didn't. The reason you're suspended is because you didn't prove your innocence. And if you continue to just beat this, uh, well, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. How can we ever move forward? Like this is, I, and believe me, it's tough. If he's wrongfully accused, if if you've got, according to the New York Times, upwards of sixty women, maybe close to a hundred women, that all band together to try and ruin his life. If that's the conspiracy theory that you want to digest today, all right. If that's the one you want to go in on, well, I understand that, man. Maybe this is difficult, and maybe you don't want to say anything. But then just don't say anything. Every time you come out and you continue to tell everybody you did nothing wrong, then it, it continues to raise the conversation that we all need to have about the fact that you felt it was okay to do what you did over and over and over again. Then we're going to put you back on the field? Now, I'm never going to allow Jimmy Haslam, of all people, to be a voice of reason, but the Browns owner did speak about second chances for Watson, and this is what he said. Here's what I think is that... Um, I think in this country and hopefully in the world, people deserve second chances, okay? I really think that. And I, I, I struggle a little bit. Is, is he never supposed to play again? Is he never supposed to be part of society? Does he get no chance to rehabilitate himself? And that's what we're going to do, okay? And you can say, well, that's because he's a star quarterback. Well, of course. But if he was Joe Smith, he wouldn't be – in the, on the headlines every day. So we think people deserve a second chance. We gave Kareem Hunt a second chance, okay? And that's worked out pretty well, okay? We're hoping this will work out and we have strong belief it will. That doesn't mean we don't have empathy for people affected and we will continue to do so. But we strongly believe, strongly believe people deserve a second chance. We believe Deshaun Watson deserves a second chance. I will take a second before anybody tweets me. And remind all of you that my brother served seven years for possession with the intent to distribute. He is now very successful in life. He got there because of a second chance. I am a massive believer in second chances. I've never said that I wasn't a believer in second chances. But not every second chance is the same. Not every dream job has the same second chance. A second chance for what? Life or the life in the 1%? That's a very, very different debate. But either way, when my brother got out of prison, the first job he took was as a phone psychic so that he could make the money he needed to then start working at a call center so that he could then eventually buy a call center so that he could own a massive company. Like, there was a process to a second chance. And believe me, he worked his tail off to be very successful. I understand the importance of second chances. But you know what else? When I sit down with my brother, even though he doesn't love everything he was charged with and even though he doesn't love everything he went to jail for, he will always look at me and say, yeah, I did what I did, and it was stupid, right? At some point, second chances, at some point, you have to have accountability to what you did the first time before you ask somebody for a second chance. And for Jimmy Haslam to sit at a podium and talk about second chances when nobody's acknowledged what went wrong the first time is absolutely asinine to me. At some point, if you want forgiveness, you have to say you're sorry. 
And if at some point you want everybody to move on, you've got to figure out how to either say nothing at all or stop making the conversation worse. And it feels like to me, both the Browns and Deshaun Watson are incapable of doing that. And until they do that, man, second chances aren't going to come easy and they're not going to come from fans of the National Football League. It's Payne and Fitz on ESPN Radio. We'll continue to get into Deshaun. We've got some uh, great experts that are going to give us some thoughts on it. And uh, I'm going to tell you in about half an hour the craziest life story you have ever heard. I have lived something today that only exists in Netflix documentaries. I'm going to tell you about it. But college football is changing. There was huge news. The problem is I don't think everybody understands what it really means. I'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Here to help you score big savings to see see how much you can save on auto insurance. Visit Progressive.com. In about half an hour, I'm going to tell you the craziest story of my life. This might be, over the last hour, this has become one of the craziest days of my life. I'm not over-exaggerating. I'm living something that I think only exists in Netflix documentaries. I'm going to tell you about it in a little bit. Plus, we've got preseason football coming up, so we'll get some expertise on the Seahawks in about 15 minutes. But college football is in the news because of the, the, the potential of change. Now, I'm not talking about change in the way of expansion for once, for the love of all things holy. I'm talking about the 11 college presidents and chancellors that make up the college football playoff board of managers met on Zoom on Monday and started a discussion, all right, according to what sources have told Pete Thamel, our own, uh, about moving college football away from the NCAA. So essentially, letting the sport be run outside of the NCAA and allowing the college football playoff board to essentially handle everything. Now, I can hear already the fine bombers of the world yelling, finally, we're going to get our football back. No, you're not. Let's be very, very clear about important details. Because you hear a story like this, and what you think is, okay, that's going to stop so many of the things that we're talking about. No, no, it's not. It can't stop so many of the things we're talking about. Why? Let's look at name, image, likeness. Why do we have name, image, likeness? A lot of people don't even remember this. But a few years ago, uh, there, there was a raging debate about whether or not schools could stop players from making money based on their name, image, and likeness. Now, yes, it's become something far different. Maybe uh, people are getting paid just to show up. Uh, that, that's what everybody talks about all the time. But the reality of this situation is quite simple. The courts looked at name, image, likeness, and the courts specifically ruled you cannot, you being a school, cannot limit a player from making money off of their name, image, likeness. The college football playoff uh, board of managers can separate into whatever they'd like. They can form a new group and call it Fitz's Super Fun, right? They can do whatever they want. They can't change that because that's the courts. It's the legal system that came in and said, guess what, guys? You're not allowed to do this. So if your goal is like, wow, I'm just tired of these kids going out and selling their names for nothing and they're just showing up, guess what? You can't change that. You can change uh, some of the rules. You can change the guidelines. You can change how everything's sort of managed. You can change the way you oversee it. You can try and bring regulation into some of it. But if you over-regulate it, you're going to go to court because the players are going to sue and they're going to win. So you've got to look at it at some point and say, all right, well then, what are they trying to accomplish? Oh, maybe maybe this is an opportunity to not have to listen to anything else that a school wants and just go out and do our own thing. 
Well, no matter who your governing body is, if you play for Alabama, you play for a state and uh, government-funded school. When you play for a state or government-funded school, guess what you have to be compliant with? Title IX. So you still have to offer as many scholarships for women as you do for men. So if the concept is we're just going to take our ball over to the playground, we're going to build our own sandbox, we're only going to play with our friends, cool. That's fine if that makes you feel good about it. But you're also going to then have to turn around and still fund all of these other things that are happening that give scholarships for Title IX. There are certain realities that we have to accept. And my problem here isn't that there's a concept of a, a new structure. I love the idea of a governing body. My problem is that we oversimplify what that means and how it will actually be executed. So it won't change name, image, likeness. We know that. We can just put that over on the shelf. It won't change Title IX, and it damn well shouldn't. We know that, so we put that over on the shelf. So now what? Now we believe that it's going to create a better synergy for NCAA because there'll be commonality in how everything is governed by having this board of managers do it for everybody. Really? You think that's going to work? So look back pre-COVID. And remember when COVID started and there was a great discussion about whether or not college football conferences were going to play. I screamed at the time, at the top of my lungs. Oh, my God. For the love of all things holy, this is your chance. Work together. Sit down. You know, when we do this show every single day, we sit down with Devin, producer extraordinaire. And when we sit down with Devin, we come up with topics and ideas and we bounce things off of each other. We work together because that's the way you make, we hope, an engaging, fun radio show. We all work together. Right. College football has had a million opportunities to work together. And every single time they have the chance to do that, somebody ends up stealing from somebody else in a way that makes the whole room mad. So now what you think a board of uh, a board of managers, which, by the way, like you got 11 college presidents. So let's just start there. 11 college presidents and chancellors are going to be on a board of managers. Well, how do we decide which 11 will actually end up there? If we're going to do 11, are we going to have equal representation? Will every single conference be represented or will the, the group of five be left out? And if the group of five is left out, we're only going to get, will the ACC get enough representation? Will the SEC be able to talk about how many schools they have, how much money they're generating, and then try and force their will? Or will the Big Ten say, look at our fancy media rights deal over here? These are the complications. Like the, the presumption that anybody in college football can work together presumes that everybody can swallow their ego. When have we ever seen that? Truly, when have we ever seen college football schools come together and say, hey guys, let's stop everything. What's best for the sport? How do we grow the sport? Nobody does that because nobody cares. Every school cares about what's best for them. Every player cares about what's best for them. And every coach cares about what's best for them. It is the ultimate, I'm looking out for me business of college football. And I'm fine with that. I just don't know why we think suddenly that's all going to change because 11 random people stand up and say so. You really think Nick Saban's going to listen to some chancellor that he doesn't have to? I don't see that. What we're desperate right now for is for college football to feel like it used to feel. And I think that's the wrong approach. You guys know that I spent a lot of my life in country music. And one of the funny things I'll never forget was sitting backstage with Kenny Rogers. And Kenny was talking one day about how when he first left 
uh, the band he'd been in that had a bunch of rock hits, and he, he was this rock and roller, and he came to country. Everybody was like, well, this guy's not country music. Oh, no, he's too rock and roll. And he was laughing about that because it was right before he was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. And about every five years, there's a new generation in country music that looks at it and says, oh, this isn't country. Like, that was country. But we forget that that's the same exact thing. They didn't just say to Kenny Rogers. They also said it to Garth Brooks. People had a problem with Garth running around on stage with fire blowing up everywhere because he wanted to put on this big show. That's not country music. The minute you start worrying to that level about whatever you love and what it used to be, you're not focused on what matters. Because, frankly, what college football used to be isn't going to matter to college football in 20 years. Just ask baseball how important it is to stop looking to the past and start looking to the future. Just ask, ask golf how important it is to continually look to the future. The health of any sport isn't just in what was accomplished in the last generation. The health of any sport isn't what was accomplished 40 years ago when you were a kid watching with your dad. The health of a sport is when you can get the grandparents and the parents and the grandkids all in the room watching something they love together in a way that resonates. That's what the NFL has figured out. And man, it is rare that the NFL used to be this argument holds any water. But for some reason, particularly right now in a sea of change for college football, that seems to be all anybody wants to focus on. If the great coaches and the great administrators and the great minds at universities put the same energy towards figuring out how to continue to move the sport forward and everybody stopped worrying about what it used to be and everybody started sharing concepts together in a way that was truly looking out for the sport, college football will be untouchable. The question is, will anybody ever sacrifice their memories past or their ego to get that done? I think the answer is clear. The answer has been clear for a very long time, and that answer is loudly no. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. We've got preseason football tonight, and I know, no Sarah Spain. That means we don't have to talk about how bad the Bre the, the Bears are going to be. For, forgive me, Sarah. It's her birthday. I shouldn't do that to you. Happy birthday! But we will talk about Seattle. We'll examine what's next for them. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. I'm telling you, Jason Fitz flying solo in about 15 minutes. I'm living the wildest. Thing. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to call Netflix. I'm living something you only see on streaming services. I'm going to tell you about it. We'll see if any of you have ever lived anything like it. Have a little bit of a wild, oh, my God, I can't believe that's happening fun. That's coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, but in the meantime, Spain and Fitz is presented by Progressive Insurance. And now a no-frills ad brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Here it is. You can save big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive. That's it. See, just a good, old-fashioned, straightforward ad. See if you can save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE or Progressive.com. Let's get all the insights we need into what the Seahawks are doing from our buddy Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks reporter. Brady, obviously everybody's talking about the quarterback battle right now. When we hit week one, who do you think is going to be the starter? Boy, if you would have asked me this Three days ago, Jason, I probably would have said Drew Locke just because even though Geno Smith has, according to Pete Carroll, been leading that competition and taking all the first-team reps, I just assumed that Drew Locke's talent and the upside there would eventually win out as he got more comfortable uh, in the offense. But this latest twist was uh, pretty unfortunate for him. He tested positive for COVID-19 on Tuesday, and uh, the, the real – 
sort of ironic part about it is he was set to start this game. He was going to make his first start of the preseason, had taken all the first-team reps in practice on Tuesday in preparation for that. Um, we didn't know it at the time, but he looked terrible in practice. And as we found out later, he tested positive for COVID-19 a, a little bit after that. So um, really unfortunate timing for him. Uh, I, I don't think it's, it necessarily kills his chances of winning the job, but I think he's going to have to play really well in next week's preseason game. And he's probably going to have to have Geno Smith uh, make, make a few mistakes to kind of open that door for him. Well, and that makes me, Brady, think about the wide receiver because there's still talent, obviously, D.K. Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. There's talent on this team at wide receiver. And I was sitting in the fantasy football draft the other night. Everybody kept talking about Seahawks wide receivers. How much difference will either of these quarterbacks make for them? Is there one that they have a better rapport with? Well, you know, we have not seen a whole lot of Drew Locke throwing to the number one guys. Uh, you know, because, again, you know, Geno Smith has taken – almost all of the first team reps now even though you know they did give drew lock i think you know a couple series here or there where they try to sprinkle in some of the skill guys but uh by and large he's been throwing to kind of the backup receivers and playing behind uh backup offensive linemen and so that's why this week was going to be such a big part of their evaluation because uh, he was going to get actual practice reps and actual game reps throwing to dk metcalf Pete carroll even said they were going to do some post-practice work uh, on Tuesday with uh, DK Metcalf and, and Will Disley. And then from what I was told, you know, Drew Locke looked so shaky in practice that uh, coaches went up to him afterwards and said, what's going on? And he said, I feel like bleep. Uh, and that's when they sent him to the trainers to get tested. So um, a, a big setback for him. But I, I, that's why I think that they have to give him a start next week against Dallas uh, to get a, a true evaluation of what it looks like when he's thrown to the guys that Geno Smith has been thrown to and the guys that he would be throwing to and playing behind in an actual game. We're talking to Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks reporter. Obviously, Seahawks Bears tonight, ESPN, 8 p.m. Uh, take it, take quarterback out of the equation, which I know is the stupidest thing anybody's asked you to do all day, Brady. But just take that totally out. Just look at the rest of the roster. How does the rest of the Seahawks roster stack up against the NFC West minus the quarterbacks? If you eliminate the quarterbacks, I think they've got a pretty good roster. And I think it, it's been easy to kind of, if you're viewing this team from afar, to just assume that this was a full-on rebuild for them. You know, when they trade Russell Wilson and they cut Bobby Wagner on the same day, I think the narrative was, well, the Seahawks are just going to go into a complete rebuild and tear it down. That's not at all what they did. I mean, they re-signed a number of players from last year's team, including you know, giving 29-year-old safety Quandre Diggs, uh, Pro Bowl safety, a, a massive contract. Brought back Will Disley, who I mentioned earlier, and were actually players in free agency. They signed Uchenna Nwosu to a big deal in free agency. And so uh, this is not a team that is stripping it down to the studs by any means. And uh, there's quite a bit of talent on there. I think their offensive line is going to be better, probably has a chance to be one of the better offensive lines they've had uh, in a few years. It certainly helps when they've got a top 10 pick there in Charles Cross. Uh, for the first time since 2010 that they've drafted an offensive lineman that high. So they've got, I think, question marks outside of quarterback, just like, like every team does. I mean, cornerback is probably their biggest question mark, I would say, but there's quite a bit of talent on this team, and um, that's why they think that they can be competitive if, if they can just get sort of game management type play uh, out of their quarterback because they feel like they've got a strong run game and a strong defense, and they feel like they can kind of play football the way that they did early in the Pete Carroll era. It just obviously, as you mentioned, it's going to depend on how, how good a quarterback play they get. 
One of my favorite draft picks by any team was Kenneth Walker III going to Seattle. I loved him at Michigan State. Obviously, he goes through the hernia procedure that's not a sports hernia. How does all of that impact what the Seahawks plan to do at the running back position? Yeah, it's not a sports hernia, and I think a lot of reporters have kind of got educated on the difference between those two. So uh, a little bit of medical education that we've gotten over the last few days. But um, the word from the team is that he they expect him to be back by week one and that this is uh, just going to be kind of a, a, a minor absence for him. Certainly not what it would be when you hear about guys, you know, going to Philadelphia and having the sports hernia surgery that sidelines them for about a month. This is not that. So um, I, I have gotten the impression that um, he is going to be a huge part of their backfield this season. And it would not shock me if he ends up with more carries uh, than Rashad Penny or, or more touches, just because a, you've got the simple truth that Rashad Penny has had a very hard time staying healthy in his career. He's missed 30 of a possible 69 career games, including playoffs because of injury. And the other part of that is they've been very impressed with what they've seen of Ken Walker. He, you know, the, the big knock on him, coming out of Michigan state was his pass protection. And that was, you know, I think in a lot of people's eyes going to keep him from uh, being a three down back, uh, you know, there was reservations about whether or not he could play on third down, uh, didn't catch the ball all that much at Michigan state either. Well, he's shown a lot of receiving skills. And the other day Pete Carroll raved about how far he's come in his pass protection. So they feel like he could be a three down guy uh, if they need him to be. And, Again, Rashad Penny's injury history suggests that they're probably going to need that uh, at one point or another. Aside from all of that, Brady, what's something you're looking for in this uh, game tonight that you've got your eye on that could impact the Seahawks this season? Yeah, you know, I want to see just what the defense looks like. Uh, You know, this is a new defense for them, Uh, probably going to be the most significant uh, changes that they've implemented on defense in in a long time. Uh, You know, this is is not the Legion of Boom-style defense anymore where – they kind of sit back and, and play cover three and, and they felt like their talent was so good that they could really keep things kind of playing and keep it simple on defense. Uh, there's going to be more complexities to that. Now, I don't know if we're going to see a whole lot of that tonight because teams typically don't, uh, you know, show their hand, but I think you're going to see Jamal Adams this season uh, really kind of bounce around. And, you know, a, a big thing I've heard, a big reason why they felt like he had such an unproductive season last year was they felt like, they weren't creative enough in how they used him, and he became too predictable and thus too easy for offenses to figure out, uh, too easy to block. So I think you're going to see him kind of bounce around and be a little bit more unpredictable uh, in terms of when he's coming on a blitz, when he's dropping into coverage, things like that. So I don't know how much you're going to see of that tonight, but uh, that's going to be something to watch when the actual games get going, and that's a reason to think that Adams could be in line for a bounce-back season. You guys can follow him on Twitter at Brady Henderson. Watch the game tonight on ESPN at 8 p.m. Brady, thanks so much for your time, my friend. We appreciate you. Yeah, you got it. Thank you for having me. Enjoy the game. It's great stuff from Brady. We will keep you updated on the game. And, of course, we'll get back to Deshaun Watson uh, with some expertise in a few minutes. But you all know I'm an open book, and I live my life very open with you about the weird things that happen at times. I am now living something that happened to me this afternoon that legit only happens in Netflix documentaries. I'm going to tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. Sarah Spain's birthday, by the way. So this is a chance where we go like, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to your Sarah, happy birthday to you. Devin, will you clip that off and send that to her so she knows I sang her birthday, happy birthday on the radio? Done. 
Okay, perfect. There we go. Uh, does that count as a payoff to any of the bets that I haven't paid off before? No, you're not going to get out that easy. Can okay, me? well, it, it, are you really trying to get out that easy? I mean, actually, I, I'm I, not I'll, surprised that you're trying to get out that easy. I mean, you know what? Uh, uh, hustlers hustle, baby. That that's what we do. Uh, I'm a hustler, baby. Uh, Bears Seahawks, 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. And obviously, when you start talking about these two teams in preseason football, I know sometimes people will roll their eyes a little bit. But I think there's a lot to this game, uh, specifically the fact that we know that Geno's going to be in there. What's it look like at quarterback? And as you just heard Brady talking about, the Seahawks have some pretty hefty expectations. But also, let's be real, the, the Bears, and I'm not I, – I wouldn't say this if Sarah was here because I'm not stupid. The Bears might end up being the worst team in the NFL this year. Like – it looks like it could be really bad. So I'm waiting to see something click for the Bears where you can say, oh, that is the pillar. That's the tenant. Like, that's the thing. That That's the identity of the Chicago Bears. And I don't know uh, what we're going to see there. But the interesting thing is that I'm not sure we've seen – like, I, I like Justin Fields. I want Justin Fields to be really good. I'm not sure that the Bears are going to be good enough for that to happen. And then they're going to be in this weird situation where they're trying to evaluate a young quarterback that at the time that he was drafted, I thought was a home run versus a draft class next year that is stacked. So it becomes really difficult to figure out what their future looks like if this thing absolutely massively implodes. So I feel for Justin Fields. You're in a new system, new offense, new everything. You still don't have an offensive line. We're not really sure if he's throwing to anybody. I, there are so many issues why Chicago could be terrible, but the most important thing this year that we say all the time for teams that have young quarterbacks isn't identifying whether or not you're going to be any good. It's identifying whether you have your quarterback. Need I remind you, my beloved Raiders started 0-10 in Derek Carr's rookie year, but I was actually pretty excited through that process, not because they were 0-10. I knew that team was trash. I was excited because Khalil Mack looked awesome at the time. Gabe Jackson looked awesome, and Derek Carr looked awesome. So you're like, you know what? You've at least got something you can build your future around. The, the, the Bears don't need to win games. The Bears need to win hope. And the best way they'll do that is if they lose, and that's fine. If you're going to lose a bunch of games, at least watch this awakening of the, the flower blossoming of Justin Fields. If that happens, I think it's a win for everybody. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. I've wasted enough time. Uh, I'm ready for this. Are you ready? Uh, I, I'm not sure. I usually sort of overhype things. And I'm the, the first to admit that I'm the guy that comes in and says, oh, my God, you won't believe this. But, Devin, I, before I tell everybody, this is pretty unbelievable, right? Like, you've heard what I'm about to tell the world. I am not overselling it. This is this is wild, right? It's it's actively negated what I normally do. Like, I'm so flabbergasted by the story that, like, things I usually do, like put up the tease early, all that stuff, I haven't been doing because it's all I can think about. Yeah, I mean, this is this – is, it, it's been in the back of my mind, all right? So here's the thing. I'm going to start by telling everybody the most important thing that you're going to think first. So let's just start with this. That I know of, I don't have any kids. So it's important to just start with that. I don't have any kids. There, there are no kids in my life, all right? And many of you, if you've listened to this show very long, you know that I don't have uh, much relationship at all with family. I haven't uh, spoken to my parents or my brother in you know probably a decade. There's no relationship. So I decided that I was going to go out – and uh, check out like 23andMe because they, they had a, a sale on 23andMe. So I was going to spit in the tube and find out what I can find out about my life. Because a lot of times when I go to the doctor and stuff and they ask you like, well, do you have a family history of this or that or this or that? I don't remember a lot of that and I don't really know the answer. So I thought I'd go to 23andMe, maybe start to piece together some of the, uh, some of the results. So I spit in the tube, I send it out. So I knew it wasn't going to be back until they said September 1st. So I was just logging on as we were getting ready for the show. And I'm like looking through. Uh, no worries. I just want to see what the status is. 
I, I see what the status is, and all of a sudden it says, your results are in. And I pull it up, and it says, you have two half-sisters. No, I don't. Definitely don't have two half-sisters. So, you know, I have, I have a brother that's technically a half-brother, but we were raised together my entire life. We have different dads. So I, uh, I was like, okay, uh, this seems kind of weird. So I messaged these two people on 23andMe, and I was like, hey, uh, according to 23andMe, um, we're related. So that's kind of crazy. Um, who are your parents? Because you think, like, the, the apps obviously made a mistake. Like, that's the first thought is going to be that you, you decide, okay, there must be something weird about it, only to find out that my dad, had two other kids. Before I was born, a couple years before I was born, looks like my dad had two other kids. Wild. Devin, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I told you this after I after you told me the first time. I said, listen, this I'm not surprised I'm surprised that this happens, but like if it was going to happen to anybody I know, I feel like this is going to happen to you, Fitz. You have a just crazy background. And but even even with and, that and, being said, like it's still wild. Yeah, and, and look, my dad was a, a quite the playboy in his single days in Las Vegas in the 70s. I, I, there's no doubt about that. I remember vaguely when I was a little kid that we at one point had to get an unlisted phone number because when like every time stewardesses were in town, they'd call and my mom would answer the phone and she'd get really mad about the fact that they were still calling, right? So, like, I get it. Like, I, I you know, it was the 70s. Uh, my dad, like, you know, was out there, out, out there living his best life. Like, there's no doubt uh, we were we were in Vegas when I was, uh, I don't know, in my early 20s. And uh, I, I was going through a casino with my uh, uh, with my dad and we were just walking around. And he always had stories of like people uh, you that he said he knew. And you think that that's not going to be like the, the truth. I'm walking through the casino and George Carlin just, just starts screaming. It's like, Ray, Ray. And like start talking to my dad. So like my dad was definitely the 70s partier. Uh, of all parties, Wait, what? but you're it, just gonna you're just gonna gloss over that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like George Carlin walks up, just starts hugging my dad in the casino. It was the wildest thing I've ever seen. Like I really thought he was full of it, but he always talked about how like when when bands would come in town, they call him and be like, "Where's the party?" So like you know, uh, dad, 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 dad did his thing. Uh, but it, apparently uh, that has resulted in two half sisters, as we both uh, we all share the same dad. I, I'm I'm breaking this down as I'm getting it. They've been very nice. I messaged on the app, and I'm like, wow, and. You know, the, but the weirdest part of this is, like, I was raised by my dad, obviously, Captain Obvious. They didn't know about my dad. So, like, now I feel like I should be going to them and being like, hey, what can I tell you about, like, like the man raised me? What, what questions can I answer for you? Because this is wild. Well, the other thing that must be wild for your, your half-sisters is now that they know your name, they're, you know, as anyone would do in this situation, they're going to Google you. And that must be a wild experience for them with your diverse background, Juilliard's, you know, student fiddle player toward the world, the band Perry. And now you are working at ESPN in multifaceted role that uh, that's going to be quite the uh, the surprise for them. Well, the good news is that I found out that one of my half sisters is a therapist because we might all need that at this point. Like that, that might be the next step. As you find out, and, uh, you know, for, for anybody, and, I, like, I'm an open book. So, I, look, again, I'm an open book. You can tweet me, at Jason Fitz. If you lived an experience like this, you can call the show, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Have you ever lived a 23 and me? oh, my God, I just found out I have siblings moment? Because this is wild to me. So, you know, would love to uh, uh, would love to know about uh, any other experiences people have had in this uh in this realm. And I will say this, you know, it's, it's insane to think about 
sort of life and, and the fact that we can now connect with everybody. But I did at least find out from one of the people I've talked to. My dad didn't know until very recently, apparently. So at least like I think that would be all, also like very weird if you found out that your dad knew but just never told you like that you had a sister living like five blocks away. That would be weird. So apparently didn't know until recently. That makes me feel a little more comfortable. But uh, yeah, this is maybe the wildest thing. And I don't. Uh, I don't know kind of how to process what like are you supposed to become like do you become friends with new relatives Devin? Well, I was going to ask you um you know for a lot of people they do this 23 me or ancestry and they find this information out and then I feel like the thought might be oh man I kind of wish I didn't do it. So my question to you is are you happy that you know you you have these two half sisters or are you kind of like ah oh, man I this is kind of just a, a difficult, you know, situation now. If I can provide for them any insight into who my dad uh, is then or was for me, then I think that that's a benefit for everybody. It would be way tougher, like honestly. Like if I knew that he was like hiding everything and had like a secret family, I think I'd be sitting here saying, oh my God, I can't believe I did this. But, you know, he had kids before. Like this, this pre-internet dad, like, you know, he was just out there. Ray Fitz was out there wilding it, right? Like, so apparently that, that you know, he, he had no idea. So yeah, that, I it, don't think, I don't it, think I regret it. Is it too far-fetched, you know, with the whole, they're going to Google your name, they're going to find out you do a show from seven to nine Eastern. Like, are, is there a chance that your half-sisters are listening right now? Well, if they are, hi, welcome to the family. I don't know how that goes. Like, I never really had much of an extended family and don't have much of a relationship with the one I have. So now I'm like, oh, do I try that? Like, do you, like, maybe this is a second chance. We're talking about second chances with Deshaun. Like, maybe this is a second chance at, uh, at, at, at life uh, with, with family. Maybe all of a sudden I'm going to become super close. Like, I could be the cool uncle, right? I mean, yeah, you're the uncle. You're already cool. Oh, man, I'm the, that, that's because I, I enjoy Funkos and because I'd be a cool uncle. Hit me up at Jason Fitz. Let me know if you've ever lived anything like this because this is the wildest day I think I've had in a very long time in my life. In the meantime, we're going to get some expertise from somebody that had strong thoughts on the Browns' involvement with Deshaun Watson, what it means for their organization. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. All eyes have been on Deshaun Watson and the NFL through every single step of the determination of what the punishment process looks like for his actions. But maybe, just maybe, some of those eyes should also be looking at specifically the Cleveland Browns. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. I'm Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. We're going to get some insight. I I tell you guys all the time, we bring guests on that we think do great work for a reason, to give us some expertise and also because – Frankly, some people write great stuff you should read. Nancy Armour did that, a USA Today sports columnist today. There's a great article you should go out and read. We will tweet it out. Nancy, I really appreciate your time and appreciate you joining us because there's a real conversation about whatever culpability through all of this the Browns have. Well, let's start with Jimmy Haslam today. He makes a statement about second chances. What did you make of that statement? Hey, first of all, thanks for having me on to talk about this. Um, well, Second chance, I thought that was an interesting choice of words. I, you know, I personally think Deshaun is up to what, 25 chances, 31 chances? I think it depends mm-hmm. on how you're counting the losses. <laughs> you're, you are. I mean, a- you know, the guy's had, he, he got a second chance when he got to Cleveland. Um, he got a, a, you know, record breaking contract. And to say that the guy deserves a second chance, second chances are earned, they are not given. And Watson has done absolutely nothing as we saw in full force today, to show that he has earned a second chance, that he that he recognizes that he's done anything wrong. 
is there a part like I, I guess maybe I look at the, the way the statements have come out from everybody and I keep waiting for somebody to even if they don't believe it just to fall on the sword and say, my God, we've handled all of this so poorly that that hasn't happened. I don't think it will ever happen. So how are we supposed to move forward with the player when he inevitably steps back on the field? I, I think it's going to be one of those cases where you, you just hold your nose and decide that, you know, you like the NFL too much to let this turn you off on it forever. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't have a good answer because I, it, it is, it's so disheartening to see. I, I mean, you know, they, they put out a statement with Watson expressing, and I'm going to use air quotes, remorse, and saying he took responsibility. And then he stood up there and went, yeah, no, I don't. To any of it. I mean, like I, I don't, I don't know if you're a Browns fan, how you support this franchise, how you give them your money, your time, your loyalty. Because especially if you're a woman, I mean, they just they they gave you the you know they give you middle finger, double barreled. Well, and and Nancy, you made a great point in your article today about October and for everyone that that forgets October is you know cancer awareness month for the NFL and they typically trot the teams out in pink at least once and we know that you made the point that they shouldn't do anything that involves pink in October what what is the right way for the Browns to start to mend fences with the women that are fans of the organization I don't know um you know I, I just I actually just had this thought you know the the D Haslam in particular was so proud of the, you know, the $1 million that they contributed to a fund that's going to go to uh, sexual violence prevention and education for kids about healthy relationships. That $1 million, it might sound like a lot, but it's a number that is so paltry that it's what the Haslam's gave Watson as his base salary for this year, knowing, anticipating that he was going to miss a good chunk of the season. That's how insignificant a number they think that is. So if you're a female fan of the Browns, if you're a female fan of the NFL, I, I don't know how you look at the Browns again because they clearly, and, and Dee Hanslam also smeared the women who have sued Watson, basically calling them sex workers. Um, you know, they, they clearly view women, these women in particular, as disposable, as expendable. And when someone tells you that in, in this plane of fashion, you got to take them at their at, at their word. It, it's stunning when you put it so simply. It is so stunning. Nancy Armour joining us. Check out her column on USA Today uh, regarding the Browns. But let me also like go all the way back to the Texans in this process because I think we've just sort of glossed over whatever involvement they have at this point. How how accountable should they be in his actions as well in the eyes of the league at least? Oh, I I, I would hope. Um, I'm not going to hold my breath, but I would hope that. Goodell will find both of them um, because, and, and quite frankly, the Texans probably deserve a larger fine because they enabled him. They're the ones who had him bring in non-disclosure agreements to the massage appointments. They're the one who set him up in, you know, a space that he could have women come to see him. I mean, they're the one who didn't, who didn't stop this when they knew what it was, they knew what was going on. They, their actions caused real verifiable harm to women. So yeah, they, to me, they are deserving of a hefty fine, loss of draft picks, you know, whatever you can throw at them. And, you know, the Browns, I think, I think deserve something too from the league, whether we'll see it, I'm not that optimistic, but they, they both are deserving of something.
Deshaun, in his statement today, Nancy, pointed out that in his eyes, apparently, that they have proven his innocence already in, in, in court. We both know that's not true. What would your response be to that statement? Um, I, well, you, I can't say what my response was when I saw that because <laughs> it's a family radio show. Um, but no, he was, if you know anything about sexual violence and, and prosecution of, of sex abuse cases, you know how difficult it is to prove them. You know how difficult it is to get an indictment. Um, I, and one of our reporters, Brent Trottenborg, who's done a terrific job on this, you know, he reported that, that one of the Houston police detectives thought Watson's behavior was, was criminal. She, she gave that, she said that in a deposition and the prosecution apparently didn't call her when they were presenting the case to the grand jury. Um, so not being indicted is not an exoneration. Um, Sue L. Robinson basically called, I mean, pretty much said that he was a, a sexual predator. So I, you know, I don't, I don't know where he's getting this idea that he's been exonerated because he hasn't been. And I'm sorry. And all you people who want to, you know, say, Oh, he was never charged. There are 24 women and those are just the ones who filed lawsuits. There are, there are more out there, all with consistent stories, all who were willing to put themselves through the humiliation and, and pain of doing this in hopes that it would, would spare some other woman. So you really think that they're going to do that if there isn't something there? That's, that's you know, I, and I don't, I don't even want to say you can dismiss one or two, but when it's two dozen women, there's something there. When he steps back on the field after this suspension, what's the right tone we should all take? Uh, I think the response in Jacksonville the other night was pretty good. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, if, if, don't cheer the guy. Um, you know, you can just just don't. You know, it's gross. Don't If you're a parent, don't buy your kid a Watson jersey. Don't wear a Watson jersey. If you have a chance, don't get his autograph. I mean, don't don't let him reap any benefits from this, or any more than he already is going to with that fat contract. But you know, he this is not a guy who should be celebrated. This is not somebody who is one of the NFL's finest. Look somewhere else for that. That's a great point, and it is a great article. Go read it uh, out on USA Today. Follow her on Twitter at nr armor, and that's a r m o u r. Nancy, always appreciate your expertise. Thanks for hanging out with us. Anytime. She talks about accountability, and it's important to note with the teams, but it's also important to note with every one of us. And one thing I've told you, if you if you haven't heard it, I'll say it again. I cannot imagine what it feels like right now to be a Browns fan and have to figure out how to root for the team that you love when you know they have a quarterback that on the field can be great, but you know that off the field comes with everything about this. I am so thankful that my beloved Raiders – do not have Deshaun Watson as a quarterback because I'm not going to pretend that it's easy for any fan to just turn off the portion of them that are ruled by the teams that we love. I will never pretend that that's easy. But Nancy's right. The only way that there'll ever be a true statement made in these sorts of instances are when fans stand up and say no. Because as long as the league knows that we'll handle, we'll settle for whatever we are handed, as long as it results in wins, they'll continue to make money. As long as your team wins, and you pay the money, and the owners make the money, nobody's ever going to change anything. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're going to continue this Deshaun Watson conversation next because the timing of his return, I don't think is coincidental. We'll tell you why next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80.
Jason Fitz flying solo. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. You guys want to chime in. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Always know it's hot when I don't have to give out the number and you guys still uh, load up the phone lines, which you've done. So we're going to take some calls. First, I do have to tell you in the update. If you haven't heard the update, I found out on 23andMe today that I have some uh, some half-siblings that I didn't know I had. So a couple hours ago, didn't know I had these. Now I find out that my dad had some other kids that we never found out about. So I've asked you to tell me your your stories. Like, give me your 23andMe type stories. And there's been some that are good. All 808 said he was adopted, recently found out. Mother and father found them. Uh, both are very young, both living in Florida. He has three brothers, uh, three sisters, two brothers, lots of nieces and nephews, large, happy, extended, loving family. That's incredible. Uh, but then uh, Sammy says, my mother's father had an entire family. Her and her sister never knew about his kids. He'd apparently been married prior to marrying my grandmother. She found out much later in life. Lots of these weird family things going on. So uh, that's interesting. Uh, in the meantime, we'll take your calls on Deshaun Watson, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Doc in Long Island. Doc, thanks for calling the show, man. What you got? Yeah, Fitz, love your show. And you, you made a great point earlier talking about what's going to happen when Watson gets back. And I don't think Stefanski is going to be prepared for this. You know, as the head coach, Watson comes back game 12 in Houston. You can't bring in Jimmy G because if Jimmy G's riding high, you know, you're going to bench Jimmy G and bring in Watson. Or Jacoby Brissett, who's the backup, he understands his role, he's a backup. But if the team's riding hot, you're going to bring in a quarterback that hasn't played for a year and a half just to play. And you know the owner wants to do that because his declaration, he's the guy, he got to have a second chance. But it, all now we have now is that the quarterback controversy and it's, you know potential team divide with the quarterback. Yeah, Doc, you're not wrong about that. I think, uh, you know, what's interesting is that it wouldn't be bad for Stefanski and the Browns organization, frankly, to just say, hey, let's not play him against Houston. Let's give him a week, uh, extra practices, and just avoid that entire you-know-what and then bring him in the week after. I, I don't think that that uh, is the worst idea. What's tricky is also the preseason. Like, you really need Deshaun to knock off the rust in the preseason. He hasn't played meaningful football in a long time. So I don't think it's just as easy to step out there and win football games. But – you also need your backup to be ready to win a bunch of games because you are in a hyper-competitive division. So uh, I, I, the only thing I'd say, Doc, is I wonder if things will be going that well for the Browns by then if Jacoby Brissett's a quarterback. He's going to have to play really well. Paul in Kentucky. Paul, thanks for calling the show. What you got? Uh, first of all, a fun 23andMe story. My, uh, I raised, uh, raised uh, Roman Catholic. My grandfather was adopted. We didn't know what he was. My sister got the test done. And we're 12% European Jewish, which I think is awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. It, we love it. I, and I love bagels. Um, <laughs> Nancy, was spot, Nancy was spot on. I can't believe there's any scenario for anybody to support Deshaun Watson playing in the NFL. For what he did. Can you imagine him being up in Cleveland? What, what, what car dealership? Who's going who's gonna to want this person to be their spokesperson? I mean... He is wrong on every level. If you're innocent, you don't settle with 23 people. Um, maybe not a good comparison, but Pete Rose bet on baseball. Betting is legal. This guy, what he did is totally immoral with 23 people, and he gets 11 games, like a little slap on the wrist. It is so awful, I can't even imagine who can support and clap for this guy. Thanks for having me tonight. Uh, thanks for the call. And I, look, I think this is the line everybody has to figure out. You know, if you're a Browns fan, 
Uh, I've got one uh, one person that had tweeted me earlier, and uh, sorry, I'll pull the name up again. Taz tweeted me earlier and said, not hard to be a Browns fan, proud to be one. I don't think it's fair to make it seem like it's bad to be a Browns fan. This isn't an easy story, and it's not cut and dry like your last guest wants to make it seem. I think everybody has a line. You know, like that that's the the thing that everybody has a different line. So, you know, for I'm not saying it's tough to be a Browns fan. I'm saying it's got to be incredibly difficult if you are a Browns fan and this violates the line of what you're willing to root for. Now you have to sit there and figure out how to root for your favorite team while not rooting for your quarterback or what to do with the quarterback is problematic in the eyes of many. So, like, I think to that point, it's going to be really difficult. The other side of it, though, is the minute he has a bunch of 400-yard games, everybody will forget about it, unfortunately. Ben in St. Louis. Ben, thanks for calling the show. What you got, man? Hey, glad to be a part of the show. Hey, I'm a, I'm a retired 22-year police veteran, and we were always taught it's not what you think, it's what you can prove in court. And I just don't believe if they had substantial evidence against Deshaun Washington, they wouldn't have pushed forward for prosecution. That's first of all. Second of all, uh, it's kind of strange that none of these charges came about until he decided he wanted out of Houston. And thirdly, my question to you guys is, how much time did uh, how, what punishment did Bob Kraft get for his uh, indiscretions? I'll hang okay. up and listen. Sure, Ben. I'll I'll handle each of those differently. When it comes to Bob Kraft, one thing to remember is that Bob Kraft went in and uh, he did what he did with people that accepted money that do that. That is that that that's one thing that Nancy pointed out earlier. Uh, he went to massage parlors that were sex trafficking people, using people as prostitutes. This is not what Deshaun Watson did. Deshaun Watson very clearly did something different. He went and found people on Instagram and said, hey, come give me a massage. And then he, he according to the judge, and this goes to your second point, as a former officer, and thank you for all the sacrifices you make to do that. I genuinely appreciate it. Uh, I, I would say this. Judge Sue L. Robinson, in her decision, said she believes that the NFL proved that he did expose himself, that he did pull his penis out, that he did force his penis on multiple women, and that he did understand that that contact was unwanted. So the judge that actually reviewed the case for decision and punishment says he did it. When you talk about Robert Kraft, first of all, what about ism never works. But secondly, that's a much different situation going to somebody. And if you choose to go to a massage parlor that gives out happy endings, that is something you'll have to deal with in the court system. That's one set of laws. If instead you go to a regular person and you force them yourself on them, somebody that does not do that for a living, somebody that does not want to be part of that, that is a much different situation. The amount of times that we've said, man, Robert Kraft, Robert Kraft, Robert Kraft, well, the, the instances are, are wildly different, wildly different. you, you got to be able to see that, not to mention the numbers, not to mention just the sheer volume. As for the, the contention that nobody came forward until he wanted out of Houston, I don't know what you're implying there, but the, the presumption that anyone with the Texans leaked any of this is absolutely asinine. And I know enough people that cover the team down there to say that there's nothing to that. What I will say is that there is something to me about the timing of all of this. Like the fact that his first game back is going to be against the Texans, we could look at it and say, holy cow, what a coincidence. I just don't really believe in coincidence. They decided to settle in an opportunity where they could have not settled and they could have waited for a judgment. Remember, this was not a second judgment. This was a settlement. All right. So they decided to settle in a way that puts him back on the field against his former team. Oh, you want to talk about every headline, every single conversation, every single eyeball. What's the what's it going to look like when Deshaun plays against the Texans? Man, I would love to think that the NFL looked around and thought, oh, 
man, we don't really want that. I just don't, I, I can't find a way to believe that. I've got to believe that the NFL at some point decided that was the right week to bring him back when they could have picked any other week to do it. I hope for the sake of Deshaun, for the sake of the Browns, for the sake of the women, for the sake of the victims, for the sake of the teams, for the sake of the fans, I hope he doesn't play in that game. Because if, if you are going to sit here and just presume everything's perfect for Deshaun and that he didn't do anything, we're not going to be on the same page. If he did anything, every single one of his victims that, again, Sue L. Robinson believed in this process are going to have to relive every second of it in the biggest, highest profile way possible. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. We'll keep breaking down Deshaun Watson, obviously, but college football is in the news. They are changing before our eyes. Our next guest will help us get through all of it. It could impact expansion. It could impact the future or it could all stay the same. We'll tell you what it will be next. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. There are just some people that I blow up too much because I need help and I need information. Like There, there are certain people within the company that you know are so smart that they will help you through anything. And thank God for those people because... Uh, there are plenty of times where we're all lost trying to cover things. And college football right now in that landscape is one of them. I find myself the number of times when we're getting close to the, the playoff that I'm blowing up Heather Dinich trying to figure something out uh, is insane. Well, uh, Adam Rittenberg is one of those guys, too, that every time I'm confused, I reach out to Adam. And Adam joins us now. So, Adam, uh, thank you. We don't have to do this on text now. I appreciate this. I can actually just ask you questions. Uh, I'm trying to figure some of this out, and I want to start with some of the breaking news that was happening this afternoon, or reports, I should say, that some of the other schools in California, the border regions of California, may actually try and block this Big Ten expansion for UCLA. Uh, did UCLA not see any of this coming? No, there was concern, uh, Jason, even the day that the move was announced on June 30th from both UCLA and the Big Ten side, whether this could happen. I mean, even though they were obviously very down the road, it's a unique situation because you're talking about a not just the, the same state, but the same university system and having another uh, you know, sister school in that system that's part of a different conference that you're leaving behind by moving from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten. So, yeah, it was always a possibility. I, I still think it's a, a fairly slow po- low possibility, um, that that, it, that the, the regents will actually stop this from happening because um, of the obvious benefits for uh, UCLA financially to, to move to the Big Ten. But, you know, again, this is a, a, an interesting state. It's an interesting uh, system. There weren't many people looped in on the front end of UCLA's talks with the Big Ten, and certainly when it came close to an announcement, very, very few people, even in the Board of Regents, and obviously Governor Gavin Newsom, was, was not a part of that, those front-end discussions. And so that's why we are where we are. Is this a ego thing on not being involved? Is it a keep, we want to keep things the way they are, or is this a we want to force the Big Ten to take more teams out of uh, California? Like, what's, if California could have anything right now, what would their end goal be? Well, I think all of the above. I mean, I, I really think if the Big Ten were to take Cal, again, a less desirable uh, member in terms of athletics of great school and has some tradition. I, I grew up there, so it, it's near and dear to my heart. Um, but uh, if they were to do that, and because again, it's all financial, right? You saw the Big Ten announce their media rights deal. That's going to be uh, you know, $7 billion, more than $7 billion for the next 
seven years. And so UCLA is getting its finances right, but also uh, you're likely hurting Cal in the process. And so, um, yeah, there's definitely a, a, a amount of ego of, of not being looped in on the front end. Um, there's also concerns about what this could mean for, you know, UCLA athletes and other sports. But the big issue is is how how much this could damage another school in the system, the the, the, the main campus of that UC system, which is in Berkeley. We're talking to Adam Rittenberg, ESPN College Football Senior Writer. You mentioned the media rights deal. It is massive. It's with Fox, CBS, and NBC. So uh, let's start from the broad spectrum. What does this mean for college football? Well, it's, it, I think it's the biggest, uh, most impactful media rights deal in college football history, in college sports history, because of who it involves. Um, the three, you know, three major networks uh, having games on on you know, major linear television from noon all the way until you know eleven twelve at, at night. Uh, certainly, the financial figures involved, but really the, the distribution. And in talking to Commissioner Kevin Warren, who, who spent much of his career in the NFL, most of his career, he really saw the NFL schedule model where you have <laughs> certain windows of the cal of the Saturday or Sunday in that case assigned to specific broadcast partners and tried to replicate that. He talked to me about owning windows and creating window pairings between uh, certain uh, outlets and, and obviously the actual time slot. And, and they feel like they've created that now with, uh, with certainly Fox, which is always going to remain the lead broadcast partner, but then bringing in CBS and then NBC, which uh, you will have that primetime window, which they, they hope can, can have the same or similar type of effect as Sunday Night Football has had. When I see NBC in anything, and I think of Notre Dame, that's like the first thing we all think of, right? We all know that Notre Dame is sitting here, uh, you know, off to the side. Does this deal, in your mind, have any impact to Notre Dame and their eventual decision to either stay independent or join a conference? Well, I think it could down the line. Right now, Notre Dame is saying that this is great for us. It means NBC is more invested in the college football space. They're going to promote our games uh, you know, on, 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 on the Big Ten telecast or vice versa. Uh, so, so they're saying this is great, um, and certainly they have an upcoming agreement with NBC after the 2025 season, I believe. But um, going forward, you know, how, how, how does it work? Does Notre Dame feel like they're second fiddle to the Big Ten games? Do they feel like they're getting the same type of investment uh, as, as the Big Ten game? And then I think the biggest factor, Jason, is how does Notre Dame schedule going forward? Can it still schedule in a way that, it, that satisfies its fan base, that satisfies everyone that matters around that program, or with the Big Ten getting bigger, adding a Notre Dame rival in USC, potentially adding another rival in Stanford, are there going to be enough games for Notre Dame to fill out that schedule, or is their schedule going to get weaker over time, which, as you know, being in the media space, that's going to affect how they're treated and valued by an NBC or by any other media partner. So I I don't think Notre Dame joins the Big Ten purely because of money, but if their scheduling is impacted and maybe their access to the college football playoff in the future, even though it's going to expand at some point, those are the factors that would ultimately push Notre Dame towards the Big Ten. In your mind, does this $7 billion Big Ten media rights deal impact expansion conversations at all? Well, I think it was the first thing that needed to get done. I mean, we've been talking about this media rights deal since May. Initially, it was projected to get done sometime in June. And you were sitting here almost in September. So this is a big, big day for the Big Ten. And then I think now they can look towards do, do they need to pursue 
further expansion out west. I think if they do expand, they would be looking again to the Pac-12, again to the West Coast, to add more uh, more of a presence alongside the two schools in the L.A. market. They could just very well go forward with 16 members, but I, I, I have not heard expansion chatter tie down in, in Big Ten circles. I think there's certainly a feeling that the Big Ten is not done. Can, let's talk a little actual football because you did a. Uh, I know you did a preview show today. So, what's your top uh, top storyline to watch in the Big Ten on the actual football field, Adam? Well, I think it's you know, again. Can anyone beat Ohio State? Which is funny to say because Michigan beat them last year and won the conference and for the first time outright since uh, 2003. And yet we're just talking about Ohio State and C.J. Stroud and Jack. Smith and Jigba, and them being a national champion contender. So can, can Michigan follow this up? Uh, even though they lost great players on defense, Aiden Hutchinson, David Ojabo, Dax Hill, and others, can they reload on that side and then take another step offensively to really be that, that true challenger year in and year out to Ohio State? And if not Michigan, who is it? Is it Michigan State? Is it Penn State? Is it Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota? The West Division's really wide open, but Going into the year, all we're talking about is, again, the team that didn't win the conference, that, that didn't go to the college football playoff, but returns a offense that I don't know if anyone's going to be able to slow down this season. Yeah, real quick before we let you go, you just mentioned Michigan State. You know, Mel Tucker gets this huge contract, and I don't even think we're talking about it. Can they run it back? Are they sustainable to what they were last year? Yeah, I think they can be a really good team. I don't know if they're going to get to that win total. Uh, they have to get better on the defensive side, and they certainly have to offset the loss of Kenneth Walker at running back. But I think Mel is building this thing to be a much more consistent contender going forward. They're recruiting Jason at a higher level than they ever have, at least according to our, our rankings at ESPN. And so you know, they may be an eight- or nine-win team this year, but they're not a team that's going away anytime soon. Follow him on Twitter, at ESPN Rittenberg. Adam, always appreciate your brilliance, my friend. Thanks for hanging out with us. Blow me up anytime, man. I appreciate you. It's uh, it's wild when you see how much money's going out to all of these teams to do this. And you think about what your Saturday looks like. I don't know if you guys saw it yesterday uh, or today, I guess. Uh, I don't know if you saw it. But, man, when CBS put out the CBS music and it didn't have the SEC on it and instead had, a, had the Big Ten there, it felt a little weird, not going to lie. But uh, this is ultimately, if you're a college football fan, you're going to have to get used to watching a lot of things in a lot of different places, which will be really interesting this year. All right, you guys have loaded up the phone lines. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. You want to chime in on Deshaun Watson, we'll let you. Plus, I'll give you an update on my crazy 23andMe story next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Jason Fitz is flying solo. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Oh, you're jumping around if you're into preseason football. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel. Lady Jason Fitz flying solo. The Bears. Up on the Seahawks, three to nothing after one. Justin Fields starts five of seven, 39 yards. Efficient, let's say at that. Trevor Simeon now four or five. So, you know, apparently Chicago uh, quarterbacks just aren't going to miss. Uh, Geno Smith starts one for four for four yards. It's early, though. It's early. Everybody can relax, but we're all going to re- overreact to all of it. So, uh, speaking of reactions, we've been taking your reactions to Deshaun Watson. You guys are fired up about it. We want to let you chime in. So, let's go to Carol in California by way of Houston. Carol, thanks for calling the show. What you got? Oh, did we lose Carol? We had Carol all that time. I think she got nervous once we put her up. Oh, 
that's okay, Carol. You can always call the show back. I'm nice, I promise. Well, you know, sometimes. Rick in California. Rick, what you got, man? Thanks for calling the show. Hey, how you doing? So I'm going to give you kind of some statistics on from the Rape Abuse National Network. It's kind of funny because the charges, usually like when people file complaints or whatever, there's only like 5% of them get convicted on those charges. And 2 to 8% of those are actually false claims. So, and if you look at the statistics on it, it's really, really bad. Because like 0.6% of we actually get any kind of time incarcerated at all. So for him to come up there and say all this stuff, they had 25 women. Kind of sad that he can actually just get up to a camera and say anything. I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror if I did something like that. Thank you. Uh, thanks for the call, Rick. And look, I think this is the important thing we have to keep reminding people is that, you know, there is some element where you have to look at this and say, because charges weren't brought. If, if your answer is that criminal charges weren't brought, and that means he's innocent. I would just tell you, go back and read. It's out on the Internet. It's only 14 pages. It's shorter than most uh, most books that you'll ever read. It's shorter than most trash articles you read about the Kardashians. And it's uh, Judge Sue Robinson's re- uh, actual verdict and why she came to the decision she came to. I think we have Carol back. Carol in California, thank you so much for calling the show. Thanks for calling us back. What's he got? Okay, I just got that. Uh, I- I'm a Houston Texans fan, season ticket holder, okay? Mm-hmm. So, and I'm a female. I think some of the cases may be relevant, but I don't think all of them are. I do believe that there is a, I don't know how to say it, uh, something going on in the NFL, some kind of systematic something that somebody advised him of things he could do, and he might have went a little overboard. But I don't think he's the only NFL player that's involved in such actions as this. But I don't think all the women were therapists, as you say, or massage therapists. I think someone was in the business of providing happy endings. I think something happened with the money because it's like almost any industry, just like beauticians. People talk. So if this was going on, people knew that was going on, so they knew not to have them come to their facilities. They were afraid that something like this was going to happen. So I believe that it all had to do with bottom line money. And they got a payday. That's my opinion. Carol, thanks for the call. I just, I I guess my my first challenge to that would be go back and and read some of the the information that came out about him just sliding into DMs. Like he's just going out onto Instagram to people and saying, hey, I don't know if you've thought about, you know, giving a massage, but I I need one. Like I I think the, the leap we've made to suddenly decide that, you know, and maybe maybe some of them were out there for a money grab. I don't know. I, I have no idea. But what's the line on how many it has to be? And the most important thing to me is I'll continue to go back to Sue Robinson's ruling. Like, Sue Robinson was presented the information and said she believes it happened. And and so for me, that 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 speaks. That speaks volumes because that was her main job was to figure out, did this go down? And she said, yes. I, I mean, if anything... The NFL and if other players are doing this, the answer is not to let more people get away with it. The answer is to hold everybody to a higher standard. So if the answer is, well, all the players are doing this, or what about Robert Kraft? And again, I already explained earlier why that's a very different situation. Go back, listen on the podcast. But if if those are the answers, I think the real answer should be then hold everybody to a higher standard. Like, I mean, if if you've got a football team and this is not this instance, let me say that clearly. 
But if suddenly it comes out that 12 players on one particular football team all rape somebody, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't hold them accountable because, well, all of them are doing it. What are we doing? I mean, we need to have some level of accountability, right? David in Minneapolis. David, thanks for calling the show. Appreciate it. Hey, Chris, thanks for taking my call. Okay. Uh, you're one of my favorite commentators. And, uh, but the, uh, you're, the passion that you're showing about, you know, uh, in, and I'm not trying to defend Deshaun Watson at all. I'm not trying to, but I'm just wondering why there's so much defend I means so much attack of, of Deshaun Watson. But when the, when the league makes mistakes, like not hiring black coaches, like not playing, uh, paying black players, you know, for their brain injuries because black people, they consider black people already stupid. Why don't we have the same level of passion and discussion about that? And, and I just wonder, I, my feelings are is that you guys know that the NFL pays your bills. And so you don't, uh, maybe that's it. But it just seems that the level of passion is higher when a player makes a mistake versus when the league makes a mistake. Uh, David, I appreciate the call. I would say um, I, I, I hope you'll listen to more stuff than I do because, uh, you know, I, I – I have had to hold my tongue many times on Roger Goodell, somebody that I haven't had a lot of favorable things to say about. And I think the NFL is part of uh, to blame for all of this. Like the NFL is, is part of the reason this is an 11 game suspension, which is soft by the commissioner. I mean, let me be very clear. I, I, the NFL could have been much tougher in all of this. And I think, frankly, they blow punishments every single time. Uh, my only answer to the, to, uh, to your point of, of what pays our bills, I, I'll tell you this, and nobody wants to believe this, but this is God's honest truth. Uh, hand, hand, to, hand to a Bible uh, you know, on, on everything I have. Nobody in this company has ever told me that I can't say something about the NFL, ever. Nobody. There's this concept that we talk about things that we don't talk about things because we're worried about certain reactions from our bosses. Nobody has ever come to me and been like, oh, mm, nope, can't do that. There's one time that I got in trouble at ESPN for something I said, and it's because I said something about Clemson fans in reaction to things that were said to me that was too personal an insult. And so I did get, I got coached on how to do that better. That's God's honest truth. But no, I didn't have to issue an apology. I didn't have to come back and do any of that. Like nobody at ESPN comes back and tells us what we can or can't say. So I would tell you, if you're not hearing people that are tough on the league, Listen to different people, because I like to think Sarah and I have been a bunch. Mike in Florida, real quick. Let's get you in here, Mike. What you got? Thanks for calling the show. How you doing, man? My name is Mike. I was just calling, like like, like last guy just said, I'm in no defense of trying to take up for anyone that did anything that's, that's horribly nasty to a woman. I have five daughters of my own, so I wouldn't agree on anything. But this whole case to me is very asinine. When the man wanted to leave, all this come about. This ain't even much his characters. The guy that y'all portrayed on TV, Deshaun Watson, y'all portrayed a, a, a totally person guy. But the moment that this man, where somebody come out and say that he, they assaulted him, why 24 women want to come out all at one time? Why they didn't come out when they got assaulted when the Bill Cosby uh, case came out? I'm like the other guy. like to say, y'all know what to say, and y'all know y'all got to bash this man. Y'all got to because at the end of the day, ESPN do pay you guys a check. They but do. but wait, like, like Mike, the, Mike, how does that how does that benefit us? How's that how's that benefit? One of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, but one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL not playing. You think that benefits the company or the league? One of the best quarterbacks. Uh, and thanks Man, for the call, Mike. Had a physical. 
Uh, I can't so, do anything about Roethlisberger. About I wasn't on air when Roethlisberger had his issue. No, I can you tell you this. Now, you can bring it up. Let, let the world know We do bring it up. We brought up Roethlisberger. Stop, stop. John, drop the call. I'm not going to talk over him. We brought up Roethlisberger countless times on this show. We brought up all of these issues you're talking about. But if you are digging into a conspiracy theory to find a reason that we're trying to hold Deshaun Watson back, then you got to check yourself, man, because at the end of the day, what the NFL quarter cares about is great quarterbacks to get great ratings. Deshaun Watson has been that. If the NFL could have their way, this would all go away. Thinking anything else is just buying into conspiracy theories. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.